Okay, Professor Catanzaro, uh, I, I, I need some help here. Uh, I'm 44. Some of the kids uh, that I, I deal with day to day tell me I'm not hip enough anymore. I don't know what's going on with this. JB, I, I've tried to turn to you on this. You, you've tried to give me some advice. It hasn't worked. So I'm, I'm turning to the hippest guy I know of a middle-aged uh, sect out there, Jim Catanzaro. Coach, professor, help me. What can I do here? Uh, expand your playlist. Stop listening to things with guitars in it because 90% of the kids you're talking to don't hear a guitar in any of their music anymore. Um, and just remember that when you know people are talking about the 90s right now, it's like when you and I were in college talking about the 60s. It's the same number of year gap. And, um, you know, I wasn't listening to the Beatles and stuff like that when I was in the 90s. I mean, I was thinking about the other day I was at the D, I was at Woodstock 99 in Rome, New York, my hometown, and DMX on the stage. They were showing this clip all yeah. over MTV. And I'm like, holy cow, I remember when the Red Hot Chili Peppers almost burned down a whole Air Force base while, you know, playing some music. And, you know, talking to our kids about that, like, Coach, 1999, um, I was – 10 years from being born. So have a, have right. that perspective. Yeah. You got to, yeah. Start listening to some guys like pop smoke and polo G and, you know, some of those guys. And if you don't know who that is, it's on Spotify. Um, you know, it's a streaming service, Frank, I want to make sure you know what music is. So, um, you know, get Spotify downloaded on your phone, pick a couple of songs, you know, that you can just type in rap music. It'll come up, you know, you can listen to some different things. So that'll help you. J JB, I, I, are you crushed here? He, he just said the guitar solo's out. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm still playing. I'm still playing my guitar, but I must just be one of those old guys, you know, hanging on for you know dear, dear life here. But uh, hey, I, I actually hey, JB, have how many are there? How many nineteen-year-olds are at your concert when you're playing? About this many. <laughs> <laughs> Although well, we did have this one young, we did have this one young man who's seventeen uh, come up on stage and perform with us. He actually knew one of our oldies, so that was good. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Well, hopefully Netflix keeps making movies of all the hip hop groups of the '90s, and our, our guys will keep listening to them. That's that's helping a little bit right now. Absolutely. There's nothing better than our little uh, dual interview uh, a couple of years ago with uh, Framingham State's uh, the crew there about the Wu Tang Clan and uh, all their defensive strategies and whatnot. We'll have to go back and revisit that one someday and uh, do that again. That was a lot of fun. But you know what, Coach? Like In exchange for this great advice you've given me, and uh, JB for that matter, will you stick around and talk to us about some football? Absolutely. Let's do it. Let's do it here on Season 13 of In the Huddle. Have you recovered yet from this whole uh, guitar, uh, you know, solo, it's not in fashion thing, JB? Are you okay with at this point? Should we go on? Yeah, I think I'll, I'll, I think I'll live. I mean, you know, hey, I know I still got a lot to learn about uh, music that doesn't incorporate guitars, but hey, you know, I got Spotify, so I'll figure it out. Oh, oh, wait, 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 wait. Hold on, we got to go full screen for this. Yeah. Give a little tune. Just don't give us a, uh, a Facebook. Comment. 
<laughs> oh yeah. What cat? Young kids can't appreciate that. Is that what you're trying to tell us? Well, hold on. We're talking to him like he's on the screen. We'll talk to him a little bit later on in the show. Again, appreciate him joining us for our cold open and for a little interview discussion about Lake Forest football, which got off the ground running. Uh, it took a little while, actually. Uh, they got a punt return for a touchdown that turned things around, and uh, we'll see. We have the video. We're, we're still searching for the video as of this recording of that. Yeah, <laughs> you know, we were searching for some games, Frank. I mean, you know, there was, by my count, there was fourteen that were originally on the schedule that either got postponed or canceled. You know. We'll get into this a little later. There's no reasons given. There's not necessarily, you know, it's not COVID all the time. It could just be roster related. But here we are, you know, 10 weeks going into the, you know, 11th, 11th and probably pretty almost uh, penultimate weekend of, of uh, spring college football. And I think maybe at this point, some of the schools, there's, there's a, a sense of accomplishment in that they've been able to play these games. But I'm also realizing that, you know, with roster sizes maybe dwindling and guys, you know, moving on to take jobs, seniors, et cetera, that, you know, there, there might be like a little fatigue and like, you know what, we got August coming up in, a, in about four months. Let's uh, let's maybe back it off. And, and also there's that, you know, that little, little minor NCAA rule that says you can't really play games after a certain time frame, depending on when your semester wraps up. So this is, uh, you know, getting near the end here, but it's been a fun spring season and, Lots of great games that were played, like you said, below here. You know, it may have been 20, but they were all really great games. Well, want to talk about them? Or we want to talk about music? Nah, I think, I think we've, we've beaten that musical horse to death. Let's go, let's go talk football. <laughs> it's time for crunch time for week 10 of the 2021 Division Three college football spring season. We're going to start with a crossover game between the USA South and the ODAC. Ultimately here, it was Southern Virginia winning 28-21, but let's take a look at this game. First off, we have NC Wesleyan's DeMorian Franklin with a 42-yard interception return in the second quarter. That made it 7-0 NC Wesleyan. Eventually, it would be 21-0 NC Wesleyan five minutes into the third quarter. That's when finally Southern Virginia's Matthew Johansson had a one-yard pass from David uh, Davis Pinkston, excuse me. That made it 21 to seven. Then watch this catch. Pinkston's gonna throw the outside. Matthew Johansson able to bring it down with a one-handed snag in the end zone. Goodness gracious! Johansson again, this time from 13 yards, but that one-handed grab. Unbelievable from Pinkston. It's 21-14 now. 3:41 left in the fourth quarter. Cade Nelson gets this one-yard touchdown run. It's 21-21. We have a tie game. And just one play from scrimmage later, this happened. Franklin rolls out to his left side. He's got pressure, and the ball is fumbled, and it's recovered by the Knights. And he's going to bring it into the end zone. That's number eight, Jason Ciosi. Oh my goodness, a miracle's happened at Knight Stadium. You have got to be kidding me. Oh my goodness. Can't believe it. The back-to-back -to -back touchdowns to win the game. Southern Virginia had never led this game until that point. It was a final 28-21 Southern Virginia winning. 
NC Wesleyan, as I said, had a 21-0 lead. COC with that scoop and score. James Hayden with a game-high 21 tackles. That breaks the record from last week that we had with the 20 tackles. Oh, yeah. yeah, I split up the pack into two segments here. First, uh, we'll talk about Geneva and Carnegie Mellon. And it's Carnegie Mellon winning 20-7. They had 88 rushing attempts combined in that game. And the Geneva defense had a good day. Two interceptions, uh, seven tackles for loss, but just couldn't beat Carnegie Mellon. Let's go back to the videotape here as Westminster traveled to Grove City. And in the third quarter, when it's 10-3 Westminster already, after uh, that was the halftime score, Ryan Gomes with a one-yard touchdown run made it 17-3 Westminster. Five minutes later, Grove City's Cody Gustafson gets an 11-yard touchdown pass from Josh East Makes it 17-10, Westminster. 11.06 left fourth quarter. There's that Cody Gustafson again. 10-yard touchdown pass from East. Uh, well, just trust us on this because the cameraman didn't quite follow the ball in this one. 17-17 is the score. And I got some bad news. Westminster, it's not that I'm upset about Westminster scoring. We don't have the video because they cut out before this touchdown. It was Vincent Giles from seven yards out. From Cole Konichka. He made it 24 17 Westminster, and that was the final score. Konichka with a 15 for 28 night, 159, one touchdown, and one interception. Cody Gustafson, 19 catches, 162 yards, two touchdowns. Hate when we lose these big plays, JB, on the video, but you watch that Grove City. It happens. Yep, back and forth. Westminster, though, you had this premonition they might pull this one out, and you were right. Yeah, it's, it's been a long time coming for the Titans who've struggled with the Wolverines uh, over the past couple of seasons. But, you know, you have to give credit where credit is due. Um, they they kind of seem to win the battle up front in the trenches. Uh, I mean, obviously, Cody Gustafson had a big game kind of going over the, the top of the defense. But, you know, the Titans did what, what's gotten them these three wins so far this season. They, they ran the football, kind of control the line of scrimmage. And so they're sitting up at the top of the pack along with uh, Wash and Jeff. So it's going to look like maybe a, a President Titan uh, battle royale for the PAC um, spring title. We'll see. Coming soon to a Pennsylvania football field near you, probably, or thereabouts. Uh, so let's go to Ohio Northern at Heidelberg. This was the OAC West uh, Division Championship, essentially, or a semifinal for the OAC, depending on how you want to look at it. Already, it was 7-0 Heidelberg. When we go get to this clip, it's Maceo Matthews. How many times have we had clips from him? A 43-yard touchdown pass from Drew Sims made it 14-0 Heidelberg. Five minutes left the first quarter. Uh, now it's 14-7 Heidelberg with 35 seconds left first quarter. Maceo Matthews, 58-yard touchdown pass from Drew Sims. I feel like a broken record, but it's 21-7 Heidelberg. Brody Hahn for Ohio Northern. He did a 21-14 game with a five-yard touchdown run. And then Austin Ike with a 25-yard pass from Brody Hahn tied the game 21-21. The halftime score was 28-21 Heidelberg. In the third quarter, though, Montavious Yearby with a 50-yard touchdown run for Heidelberg. Two minutes into the half, made it 35-21 Heidelberg. ONU would come back now down 35-28 after another Hahn run. Austin Ike with a 53-yard touchdown reception from Hahn. It's 35-35 with just under five minutes left in the fourth quarter. 
Heidelberg, though, would not be denied. 34 seconds left. It's Jace Grossman with a three-yard touchdown run, 42-35. But ONU would have one more chance. And here's the play. It's Han looking left in the open field. Hook and ladder play for the championship. Another one. And intercepted. I would say just get down, but Tyler Turek with the game ceiling interception. Heidelberg Student Princes are your OAC West champions. The hook and lateral fails. The bench clearing excitement is quite clear. Heidelberg wins the game 42-35 and wins the division with it. Brody Hahn did have a great day with the 29 for 41 performance, 463, two passing and three rushing touchdowns. Jace Grossman uh, with that touchdown though, sealed it for Heidelberg. Marietta beat Muskingum in the OAC by 29 to seven score. 26 rushes for Bryce Agnew, 191 yards on the ground and three touchdowns. Otterbein 47, Capital 10. Bryce Hall, 27 for 36, 294 yards, three touchdowns, and a defense held capital to 92 total yards and just four first downs. Heidelberg, gotta love that scene. Yeah, I mean, they just, uh, from the, the lowest of lows to now having a chance to play for a conference title, what a roller coaster ride of a season um, for Coach Donaldson and the Student Princes, but, you know, they're. They, you know, they they <laughs> they have to climb the, the proverbial mount to uh, you know, finish the, finish the year unbeaten, and it's going to be a challenge because you know, getting getting the Raiders on a off a bye week is never an easy draw. But if there was a team of destiny this spring season, maybe it's maybe it is Heidelberg. We'll have to see. Northwest Conference had one game, George Fox 35, Pacific 7. So they basically uh, traded off wins uh, between them, uh, those two teams. Uh, featured seven quarterbacks, 21 running backs. Kind of treated like a little bit of a mini scrimmage, it seems like, when they played this one. But uh, yeah. one and one for both teams. Bethany, uh, let's go back to the pack here. Uh, the last Friday game we didn't talk about. Bethany, 40, Waynesburg, 7. And Dom Salentro, Salent, Salentro, I guess? Yeah, I, so it's 21 for 37 was his line. 364, four touchdowns, one interception. And Dom, if I botched your name, which I did do, uh, no matter what I did there, I apologize. <laughs> And on Saturday, the only pack game played on Saturday was Washington Jefferson 42, St. Vincent 14. Justin Heacock with a 25 for 30 efficient passing day, 275, three touchdowns. And he found Andrew Wolf 13 times for 101 yards and a touchdown. Let's go back to the video as it was Defiance at Bluffton. Down 8-0, Defiance did not try any extra points uh, all day long, so it was always two-point conversions, so they let 8-0 in the first quarter. Five minutes into the game, though, Bluffton's Lorenz Johnson gets his 53-yard pass from Zach Nobis to make it 8-7, Defiance still leading the game. About a minute later, after an injury to Defiance's starting quarterback, Defiance's Xavius Williams with the 40-yard touchdown run makes it 14-7 Defiance after the two-point conversion failed. Before halftime, Bluffton would get their first lead after taking a field goal off the board for a roughing the kicker foul with this play with Zach Nobis in the four-yard touchdown run. It's 20-14 Bluffton at halftime. They'd had a field goal in the third quarter, 23-14, but Defiance tried to make a comeback as Michael Martin got a 10-yard touchdown pass from Dalen Lang. 
It's 23-20 Bluffton. But you know Bluffton, you know their defense. Here's a huge strip by Neighbors. Martez Neighbors, that ball just flies back and it's leaning on by Brady Hollenstein. It makes it Bluffton ball, but still one more chance for Defiance. With three minutes left, they get the ball back. Now with 131 left, they get a false start. It's fourth and seven instead of fourth and two. They try to run the ball here. Not probably the best play call on a fourth and seven. They only get about four yards on the play. And Bluffton holds on 23 to 20. This is Xavius Williams with 23 rushes, 191 yards, and two touchdowns in the game. Hanover keeps up their winning ways in the Heartland. 56-21 over Franklin. Matthew Weimer with a 21 for 29 day, 281, three passing, one rushing touchdowns. Also, Mount St. Joseph, 49, Anderson, 30, as Josh Taylor had 192 yards, two passing touchdowns, and four rushing touchdowns. Is that a misprint? Nope. I think I'm, I'm pretty sure it's 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 the case. I mean, they scored a lot of points in that game, and you know, it looks like Josh was just kind of calling his own number there at the goal line. A lot of a uh, lot of TDs there. <laughs> Six pack, I guess you could say. No kidding. Let's go back. More video this time with our only East Region game of the weekend, and that was Stevenson uh, hosting Alvernia. Let's go. With a 7-0 score, Stevenson leading already in the second quarter. Here's Brandon Booz with a 10-yard touchdown pass from Ryan Sedgwick. Makes it 14-0, Stevenson. The Bustangs continued in the second quarter. About two minutes later, Darian Littlejohn, love the name, 50-yard touchdown pass from Sedgwick. Made it 21-0. They would just go on to roll with a 28-10 win, Stevenson did. Sedgwick with those two passing touchdowns and one rushing touchdown of the day. And Alvernia's Malcolm Carey with a 14-rush, 86-yard day. In the UMAC, Westminster, Missouri, 20. Iowa Wesleyan, 13. The defense for Westminster held Iowa Wesleyan to 50 rushing guards on the day. Martin Luther beat Minnesota Morris, 14-4. 44-14. That's a tongue twister right there. I, let me tell you, Austin Denoyer, no 12 rushes, 218 yards, three touchdowns, 200 yards rushing, folks. That's a great day. And Marcus Reeb with 154 yards and a touchdown for Minnesota Morris. In the ARC, Central's 37, Nebraska Wesley 19. They led 16 to 13 to Central at the half, but scored 21 unanswered in the third quarter. Blaine Hawkins. 33 passing attempts, 22 completions, 235, two passing, one rushing touchdowns. One more time, let's do some video here. What do you say? And let's watch the James Lynn show because he was on early and yeah. often for Concordia, Wisconsin. First, Algerius Kelly with a 20-yard touchdown pass from Lynn made it 7-0 three minutes into the game. Then, let's listen to one of our favorite play-by-play -play guys. James Lynn. Plenty of pass protection. Airs it out. It's complete. Look out, Campbell. Touchdown, Falcons. A 56-yard hookup. Samuel Campbell with that 56-yard touchdown pass made it 20-0 nice. at that point. And, hey, I, I liked hearing him once. Let's hear him again. Lynn over the middle. Kelly on the catch. Touchdown, Falcons. Algerius Kelly with his second touchdown reception for 25 yards makes it 27-7. After halftime, I'll tell you about Charlie Schnell getting a 45-yard touchdown pass from James Lynn here. Made it 33-10. Rippin would try a late comeback, but just too little too late. 33-23 Concordia with the win. 
Rippon actually outgained Concordia 5-10 to 4-19 in this game, but Lynn's four touchdowns and just one interception paced things. Credit to Cormac Madigan with 486 total yards as quarterback for Rippon. Lake Forest 27, Greenville 2. Greenville gets a safety. It leads eventually to a punt return, an 81-yard punt, uh, 81-yard punt return for touchdown. He said from uh, AJ Jackson. Yep, the wide receiver also had a uh, receiving touchdown of the game. Uh, kind of a low yard output game because the weather was pretty miserable. More on that game in a little bit with Jim Cat and Zero. Finally, in the NACC, Eureka 48, Rockford 29. Joe Hughes with 34 rushes, 236 yards, four touchdowns for Eureka. They have found it, that's for sure, on the ground. In Illinois, Wesleyan 42, North Park 7. Sage Schindler with a 17 for 25 passing day, 160 and three touchdowns. JB, guess what? That's crunch time for week 10. Didn't let you talk much toward the end there, my friend. Pick your favorite games you want to talk about that you didn't get to yet. Favorite games? Well, you know, I think that you know that Bluffton Defiance one was pretty exciting, especially as it came down to the to the wire. There, we've been seeing the Beavers sort of have an up and down season here, you know, winning some games and and also losing some close ones. So they were able to close out a, a pretty tough Defiance team at home, and and you know, I think. Coach uh, Krebs and company can feel pretty good about you know, where their team is at. We've gotten to know some players like uh, Montez Archer and and others on that defense, and so you know, I'm sure they'll they'll you know learn from some of the ups and downs of this this season. And I mean, hey, Frank, if, if Hanover still seems to be the the team to beat in the Heartland. Although from what I can tell, it seems like after this past weekend, there or there or there might not be any more Heartland games. I can't tell if they're going to do a. A, uh, a crossover type of thing. We also saw in the NACC, almost all of those games got postponed to this weekend. And then after that, it's not clear if they're going to do some kind of crossover championship either. Um, maybe it's just one of those things where the NCAA rule comes into effect. And so they're just going to kind of call it a, a day. Um, but it's been really fun tracking these two conferences and, and they put on some really entertaining games this spring season. Indeed, they did. Uh, but one team that got back on the field uh, after 511 days, I think it was, uh, without playing, was Lake Forest and our friend Jim Catanzaro. We want to talk about, uh, with Jim, uh, all joking aside from our Colt Open, uh, about just, it, well, let's put it this way. He's one of the cheerleaders to get teams to play football in the fall, in the spring, anyhow, anyway. And we wanted to talk about just where we stand right now with him after talking a little bit about Lake Forest game against Greenville this weekend. Here we go. Okay, Coach Cat. Uh, last time you joined us was by phone, actually, on the show. Uh, a very impromptu and a live show we did, I want to say back in July of last year, in which we were sort of on the cusp of losing an entire season, which we basically, for did. all intents and purposes, did lose. Uh, you had to wait despite being a proponent of getting back on the field until this past Saturday, 511 days, according to you, since your previous game. How did it feel to finally get back out there on the field with your team and play some football despite the elements that were falling down that day? It was awesome. I never thought I'd want to stand out in the rain for three and a half hours as much as I did on Saturday. Like, it was 
I don't even think any of us knew it was raining. We were just out there having a great time. And I think that there was a, a moment on that first kickoff when, you know, the ball landed in, in our returner's hand and our guys took off and started hitting people. That it started to feel a little bit more normal. You know, waking up at 5 a.m. for training for as long as we did and practicing in a weird schedule in the spring doesn't necessarily feel normal. But on Saturday, you know, we had our, our Forrester walk with a bagpipe player through campus and everything just seemed to kind of fall back into place of being, you know, this is this is the most normal we felt in a long time. So I think from that perspective, it was it was really fun. And coach, if I saw on social media, I think this was technically also a, a senior day celebration for your guys. I mean, I have to imagine the, the class of 21 has been through more of a ringer than, than probably any senior class in, in, in NCAA history. Uh, but tell us a little bit about, was there some type of uh, either pre or post game ceremony for these guys after the win? Yeah. So pregame, um, what we were able to do for the guys was we, we weren't able to do our traditional senior day that we've done for, you know, as long as I've been here. Um, but we acknowledge the five guys that are still a part of the program here in the spring um, on the field. And then those guys who were not able to play in the spring, we were able to acknowledge those guys um, in the stands. So they were actually in the front row of the stands, and we were able to acknowledge those guys there, um, their parents as well. It was one of those things with the you know not letting anybody on the field that wasn't in the testing protocol. We, we know we had to do it from the stands instead of having them on the field. We probably could have got creative and had it spread over, you know, X number of yards and all that type of stuff, but we just didn't want to, you know, to be honest with you, mess with the local county health department on it a little bit differently and had them have a chance to acknowledge themselves and get the, the players to bring their mom their flowers and things like that. And so we, we did get to have a little bit of that time. It was, uh, you know, we'll, we'll do something else after the season when we're, when we're no longer worried about a positive test, you know, ending our season. And uh, we'll do that once the, the season ends on May 1st for those guys as well. You were in the forefront of uh, folks and your school was in the forefront of schools that were trying and willing to do almost anything possible in the fall uh, or at least the summertime for the fall to get football back together and try to play a season of some sort last year, however you could. What was your disappointment factor not getting there? Uh, ultimately, uh, let, let's look back first, then let's look forward afterward a, a little bit uh, at w where we go from here. But for now, look back. Take us through. Yeah, initially, it was a, yeah, the biggest part of the roller coaster was all the work that was put into it. I mean, it wasn't like it was we spent a, a three-hour meeting trying to figure out if we were going to play football. We spent months and hours and late-night phone calls and conversations with member people at the CDC and scientists everywhere else trying to come up with what would be a – reasonable plan to do it. Um, I think where the greatest frustration was none of those plans were even given a chance to be tested, if you will. And I guess, you know, with with the age demographic that we work with, um, they've been pretty safe and, you know, in terms of the recovery rates and things like that. And, and so, again, it's not perfect. Nothing in the world's perfect. But we I thought we had a great plan in place. Um, I think where the huge disappointment came was when um, you started seeing the high schools all across the country playing. I mean, I was at state championship games that had eight, 9,000 people in the stands watching in the fall. I was traveling recruiting because our students weren't on campus. And so not even being able to, to practice with our guys in the fall and do any kind of training, that was really – it just – it started to really make you wonder as a coach why you're doing what you're doing because you've turned into a recruiter and an admissions counselor instead of a football coach. And you spend the whole fall semester doing that. And, you know, there are certain things I, I think we all realized – 
you know, we sacrifice X, Y, and Z to be able to be college coaches. Um, our players sacrifice certain things to be able to be players. And I think that um, there was a lot of guys have questions and conversations of whether or not that was still worth it for them. You know, not playing and, and having to go out there and recruit and for the players having to continue to work out for 9, 10, 11 months without even being with their team. There were some guys that had to have some real soul searching as far as that went on while they were watching everybody else get a chance to do something. You know, whether it was the Division One teams playing, the NFL teams playing, a lot of the high schools playing. Um, and they were like, well, why can't we play? And, and I think that was one of the parts that for me was most frustrating um, with some of the decision makers across the country and, and not that we were immune from any of our own decision making, but the there was never seems to be there never seemed to be the people that really wanted to make it go at the right levels. You know, you're finding people fighting against it more than for it. And uh, that was probably the big frustrating part. But to be honest with you, um, February 15th at 5 a.m. when our team showed up for that first workout this this spring, all that went in the rearview mirror and it was, you know, move forward just like you tell your players after a game. You know, you don't, you don't hang on the win. You don't hang on the loss very long. You just keep working to get better. And so um, I think that when we finally all got back together and, I probably did a really poor job of social distancing when those guys first came back to campus in terms of hugs, high fives and all that kind of stuff. And then there was the reminder of exactly why we do it. So let me ask you one thing though, just to clear up the going back or looking back for a second. Do you think we made a mistake not playing in the fall? Oh man. <laughs> uh, hindsight 2020. I don't see there's any reason why we could not have played football in the fall. If everyone was committed to the testing protocols that were were kind of being suggested. I do think that that was the only way we could have done that. And if there really was inaccessibility to some of the testing in certain areas, okay, then maybe they couldn't have played, but other people could have. You know, and that's – I don't think it should have been an all or nothing. I mean, even in our conference right now, only four of the teams are actually playing games. The other seven are practicing only. Now, some of them it has nothing to do with COVID. It just has to do with their roster sizes being too small. Um, and so I think that there's some clarity that I wish schools would make a clarification on whether they're not playing because of roster sizes or if they're not playing due to COVID concerns, because I do think there's a difference in, in those two decisions. So to answer your question, yeah, I, I think we could have played in the fall and I, I don't think it would have been a major issue, but um, I think only with the testing protocols could we have done that. So, Coach, going back to Saturday's game, was the uh, – I mean, punt returns for touchdowns are always pretty exciting plays. Um, and it seemed like, you know, you guys were trying to get something going on offense. Like you said, it was pouring out, not the best weather. Um, you know, but this punt return seemed to, like, spark you, your team. And after that, you know, you couldn't keep you guys out of the end zone for the rest of the game. Was that, was that played as one of those things that sort of switched the momentum of what was kind of this – you know, kind of mud bowl slugfest into into something that kind of kicked your offense up a notch? Yeah, you know, I, I think that the team was definitely – we'd had kind of the weird safety to start the game. And I think our guys after the first quarter, you know, you're sitting down 2 nothing in a football game and everybody feels really weird. Um, but we had kind of identified in the week leading up that there was a definite opportunity for us to make big plays on special teams. And, uh, you know, we had the punt return for a touchdown with A.J. Jackson, who obviously is a really special player. That's his – I think fifth punt return for a touchdown in 10, 10 or 11 games at this point. Um, and so he, he's pretty talented there, but he also had a clean path to the end zone. It's not like he had to make anybody miss. And I, I think that's something that's really special about our guys is they really sell out on special teams. We take great pride in that. 
we would have had a punt block later in the game, but the actual the punter actually just took a knee. Um, so we, he kind of stumbled as he was trying to avoid it and took a knee. And so we, we made a play out there as well that led to a touchdown. And um, I think that our, our special teams were, were really special. If you watch the opening kickoff, like, yeah, they kicked away from A.J. to the other guy, and then A.J. gets a pancake on the return as the lead blocker up the sideline. So it's a it's not just a one-trick pony. They really um, – our special teams are pretty, I guess, special would be a good way to put it. So, Yeah. You guys are starting a little late uh, compared to uh, many teams out there. Uh, the Midwest Conference generally is uh, starting a little late, uh, and uh, but good to see you guys nonetheless. The UMAC is kind of uh, alongside you guys in the start, a little toward the second half of the spring, we'll call it. What were your intentions going into this season? What did you want to get out of this mini season, especially with you know what maybe three months off before you really turn around and go to a fall preseason, probably in August ultimately. What did you intend for this season? And in game one, has any of that already proven itself a little bit? What you wanted to get out of this? I want to make it a great for the players. You know, forget the wins and losses and everything else. I mean, obviously, when we get in the competitive moment, we want to do that. But I wanted our guys to just have something they, they'd they all expressed a huge missing of. I wanted them to have the chance to be in practices and laugh and, and have some music getting played in the background of the weight room or whatever it is and, you know, get yelled at by a coach for missing a tackle. I wanted them to have some, as much normalcy as we could provide. And, you know, everybody keeps talking about whatever the new normal is going to be. And, and there's a lot of things from the, the past that I'd like to just keep the same as was. You know, when we get on the football field, I don't want to make hundreds and hundreds of changes. I want us to be able to have the same experiences because I think it's extremely valuable. Um, you know, we want to compete. We want to have that opportunity. We're going to get a lot of guys reps. I think we played um, all but maybe five people on the roster on Saturday, and that was mostly out of injury concern. Um, so we, we did play every healthy body, I think, except for five. And so, you know, we want to make sure we did that, but we also want to win the game. We want to compete. You know, we tell our guys in recruiting, if you're playing ping pong in the student center, we want you to win. If you're, you know, we don't want you to just go over there and, and hit the paddle back and forth. And I said, find somebody that, that spurs you that way. My wife's a three-time state championship high school coach. So uh, the, when we play Scrabble or something like that, it's pretty darn competitive. There's no happy losses. So <laughs> we, want to, we want our guys to kind of have that same experience. So go out there and, you know, play to win and have a great experience, but play hard and you know, do the things you enjoy, fly around, hit people, and, and play the game. And I think they did that on Saturday for sure. So, Coach, we first got to know you uh, through through the championship uh, selection committee uh, from a few years back. I, I, I imagine your your run there might uh, you might be finally retired um, <laughs> from from that from that committee. Um, but you know, I, I can't help but. Yeah, and maybe this is the part of the, the interview that, that Frank will cut out and edit out later. But, I mean, if, if let's say that there was going to be some kind of a national spring championship tournament. Let's just pretend that, you know, that like we get like eight, eight teams from around the country, um, you know, based on what you kind of know about D3 football, who do you think some of those teams would be? I mean, obviously there's some, there's some you know, names that are just aren't, that aren't playing that would probably normally be in the conversation like the white waters and the north centrals out there but you know you look at yeah, mary harden baylor they went undefeated and won mary, Hard, mary harden baylor's getting in I, I, yeah mary harden baylor's getting in for sure i've seen them in the playoffs okay. enough and, and they play pretty darn well this uh <laughs> this spring um you know barry down in georgia probably a team that's going to get into that that group of eight um you know, out here in the Midwest, the, the CCIW is kind of in a weird spot this year with who who's playing and who's not playing. So I, I don't know that they would maybe have somebody. 
A team that I think right. would probably sneak in there uh, would be DePaul. You know, DePaul had 29 seniors that played this spring. And, um, hmm. you know, I don't know how they ended up playing results-wise because I didn't – to be honest with you, I didn't follow them as much as I should have. But I know they had 29 seniors playing this spring. And uh, they could have been a they could have been a team that contended that way just because they had the seniors who knew how to to show up and play. Um, yeah, I'm sure there's a team from the OAC Mountain Union. I mean, let's they they're not knocked out until they knock themselves out. Um, so I think that guys, gets us yeah. to yeah, they're pretty good too. I think that gets us to like five teams. You know, so maybe the other three are. Uh, I don't think much of the the Northeast um, you know played as much up there with some of the teams who would traditionally be in the playoffs. Um, yeah, maybe Salisbury, I guess you could say. I mean, they won their two games. Um, I think Centennial right off, had a pretty good run. Yeah, Centennial think so. teams I think, there was, I think you maybe won game that um, – oh, man, we're uh, blanking on the on – the, uh, not Shenandoah. Um, is they were in the ODAC. I'm, I'm blanking on – they're in Selwyn's Grove. Yeah. Oh, Seelands Grove. Yeah, Susquehanna. Susquehanna. Yep. Okay. Yeah, I mean, not not knowing everybody who necessarily played, I think there were some teams that were poised. You know, if I was going back to last summer that I was kind of tab, you know, keeping track of for the top 25 list, um, mm-hmm. you know, there might have been some other teams in there. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the, some of those purple teams, they kind of get a, an automatic top of my brain without even thinking too hard, I think. Let me ask you about one game coming up, though, that uh, is an interesting one and how you would approach it as a coach or uh, what your thoughts are as a coach. Mount Union hosting Heidelberg on Friday night for the championship in the OAC, and you, I think, know pretty well about uh, what Heidelberg has faced uh, this season. You stay in touch with uh, this stuff and what Coach Donaldson's had to you know, endure with his team uh, in the meantime. Uh, the Curtis Hellman story, his passing, obviously something you don't have a playbook for. What are your thoughts there? And, uh, you know, if you're Heidelberg, do you go in there saying we're playing with the house's money, let's have fun with this to a certain degree? Or, or do you sort of say I'm not satisfied with that kind of approach? How how would you as a coach approach a situation like that? So we, we did have a player pass a couple of years ago, so we, we did have a little bit of a playbook for this. Um, and you want to do a great job honoring – that memory. And I, I would think at Heidelberg, whether it's spoken or unspoken, there's guys on the team, they're thinking what would be a better way to honor him than beating Mount. And, and that's a, you know, probably an experience that many of them never have. I mean, they've obviously never had yet. And uh, that would kind of be the icing on the cake. Uh, but I, I do think that in some ways you don't want to pressure the team and you don't want to pressure each other that that being the end result, because now you're playing in a, you know, with that extra weight on your shoulders and uh, you know, I think for the coach, it's just taking care of the team, making sure they're mentally and emotionally um, in a great place and, and letting them take the lead. I think that's one of the things that's really cool about the, the 18 to 22-year-olds that we, we coach. They're capable of taking the lead in any situation we allow them as coaches. And, and they may or may not lead us the, the same direction we would as a 40-plus-year-old, but they're going to lead their peers to you know what they actually truly want and the genuineness of it. And and let them kind of make that decision for themselves instead of as a coach trying to be the one to dictate it. And, um, you know, there, there's going to be that understated fact that it's in everybody's mind and everybody's heart. So let, let it materialize, you know, as organically as possible. Coach, appreciate your time as always. Uh, I want to leave you this one spot here to tell us kind of what you've learned over the last year, what you're going to take away from all this. 
as a coach, as a human being, as a friend of Division Three football. Uh, we've always appreciated your time and concern, and you speak a lot of the same language we do at the end of the day about a lot of this stuff, and we've appreciated that. You've made us feel like we aren't completely crazy, even though some people think we are. Not naming any names out there. Um, but anyway, what, what have you taken away from this last year? Um, a couple of things. One, that we need to continue to advocate for the game at, at every level. And that's one of the things that, you know, my time on the Division Three Championship Committee may be over, but I'm on the Board of Trustees for the AFCA, still serving on the Sports Science Institute with the NCAA. Um, so I, I hope the coaches continue to, to step up. And we've seen many more coaches now step up to try and help and be advocates for our players. Um, the second thing I've learned is enjoy time with family. I mean, that was one of the things that was really cool about the fall is um, I would never have gotten to spend as much time with my, my eight-year-old son or my daughter. Um, I was a third-grade teacher remotely, and so that was that was its own interesting thing. But seeing some growth there and, and being able to say, you know what, this morning we're going to go fishing or this morning we're going to go do this and all these different things that, you know, kind of get put on the to-do list um, for family time that we maybe never get to as coaches – I think that the rewardingness of that has actually changed how we're going to be as a coaching staff here to make sure that our coaches have more time for their family moving forward. We're actually experimenting with that in the spring, and I think that that's really proven to be beneficial. So um, that, and we we got to keep loving our players and having our players love us because that's that's still what we do. Like I said, when when we got back and the hugs and the laughter and all that kind of came back in, it, it was no more doing it by Zoom where it's not the same. It was no more, you know, Hey, checking in on some of the stress that we're going on. And I, I just think that with what we do as coaches, what we do as players, the, the alleviation of mental stress that goes on is, is pretty significant. And you can see it in the joy that we had on Saturday and the joy we have at practice in the weight room. And I, I think that's just the best part. So uh, I guess those are things I've learned. Maybe I knew some of those already, but they got kind of revealed in a brighter light uh, this time around. I know you enjoy Cat uh, as much as I do. Listening yeah. to him, he, he's like that tough love father with his team and with uh, with everybody he deals with, honestly. But it, one of those guys that you know, you just read. He cares, cares, cares about the sport, about his players, uh, about just the schools in general. That's why he was committee chair. Uh, we love. Cat for that he he epitomizes everything that's great about Division Three football. I think. Yeah, I think so too, and and just the fact that he's remaining, you know, uh, with the AFCA and other you know uh, leadership bodies, you know, throughout throughout the you know kind of the national picture, uh, he's going to be a great person to you know just bug him every once in a while and say, hey, Coach Cat, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? I mean, it was kind of fun to kick around maybe a, um, you know, an imaginary or fantasy football, you know, D3 Spring National Tournament, <laughs> you know, a little bit there. But, um, yeah, always a pleasure to talk to Coach Cat. You know, brings a, a lot of energy and very positive uh, perspective, which, you know, let's say, let's face it, that wasn't really a thing for, for most of last year. So it's, it's, it's refreshing to see. Well, JB, uh, schedule-wise, we've learned that doing a Friday show is probably the best bet to talk about the actual schedule instead of trying to fit into this show because it's <laughs> And then, then we do yeah. it on Friday. By Friday night, it's like, oh, we lost about 12 more games. Okay, but it, when we try to do it this early, it, it's we might as well not. It, so we will have a Friday live show. Uh, or a Friday, actually, it may not be live. Believe it or not, I have to play lawyer on Friday uh, and uh, do a closing down in Long Imagine Island. Imagine that. 
So uh, we may have to record it and uh, we'll stream it in a way that will premiere live uh, in you know that Facebook atmosphere that you all love, Facebook Live at 10 a.m. or thereabouts sure. Eastern time. So stay tuned for that. I know the Around the Nation is going to have a podcast this week at some point if it hasn't dropped already today. So you know, give them a listen uh, as well. In the meantime, have a great week. We'll talk more about D3 football the way you like it on video soon.